and welcome to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, Farmer Friday means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. And of course, you can do both if you want. I know we got a number of soil tests and questions that have gotten emailed in that we'll try and get to today. Uh, if you've got a test you want to send in, then call us to discuss. That's fine, too. Brian, where do you want to start? You want to dive into the mailbag right off I the do. Bat? We've got so many questions. Let's hit the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right. There's, oh, shoot, then I buried it. I was looking for this one. Uh, this comes in from Darren. See, if your name's Darren, you might get preferential treatment here. I'm not sure. But this is Darren from North Dakota, not Darren from South Dakota. He said, guys, want to ask you about stinger carryover just a little bit. Uh, I've got I got some acres we're going to spray with lotus. Wondering about adding in stinger, but unfortunately in our area, there have been a few guys that have had carryover on stinger. Yep. And just wondering what rate of stinger could I put in safely <laughs> with the lotus that I wouldn't have to worry about carryover next year? To what? Well, mostly it's soybeans. So Okay, so if we're assuming it's soybeans, I'll just say this. When you're in North Dakota... Thank you for the question, because we always have to think harder about any of the carryover issues in North Dakota than we do somewhere that's warmer. The other issue that we have here is, what's your soil like? If your soil is well-drained, has good levels of calcium, so in other words, it's uh, uh, porous, not like super compacted or anything, the pH is close to neutral, you have lots of soil life out there. So basically what I'm trying to say is if you have a good, healthy soil with plenty of air and plenty of microbes in there, then your breakdown of stinger shouldn't be too bad. But why, why I'm assuming in your area you've seen problems is there are a lot of people with really high pH, saline issues, sodic issues, super compacted soils, late spraying, um, I, I mean, just a number of things that would mean, ooh, we, we have to worry about this. So I can't tell you that there is for sure a safe level. I would initially go back to when we were spraying straight stinger 25 years ago. We were using a third of a pint. I was never really worried. When we start talking about, okay, it's North Dakota. I am concerned about carryover. What am I willing to do? I want to go back to, and I'm sorry, Darren, but and maybe I missed this. Did he say what weeds he was after? No. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm like, I don't think I missed that. But here, here, what, what I'm trying to get to is why do you need the stinger in the first place? So I'd really like to know, can we come up with an alternative? But I don't know what weeds you're after, so I can't give you the alternative. But I'd just say if you're that worried about it and other guys around you have had carryover problems, then spray something else. And as soon as we start talking about, oh, I'm going to put an HPPD out there, well, that's going to have residual too. So now it's it's making things twice as worse, twice as bad. Granted, it, it could be okay, but I I would say if I'm doing it, I'm going to be really conservative, maybe a sixth of a pint, eighth of a pint. So in other words, a couple ounces, something like that. I, I'm just I'm not going to use a whole lot. So, and let me rephrase this. So. 
I'm very, very clear. I'm going to go well below the labeled rate. If you look at the labeled rate, I'm going to go well below that just to be extra cautious. But yeah, if you, sh if you sent me your soil tests, you tell me whether the, the, the field is drained, you say you're going to spray early, uh, you know, things like that, I can, I can help you and, uh, and tell me what weeds you're after. I'll give you a little better advice. Okay, got a bunch of soil samples here from Australia, Brian, and I highlighted two fields there on the side. Uh, so this one comes from Jim. He said, guys, we are in southeast Australia. We've had an excessively wet year, and on the wet years, our crops are bad. The dry years, our yields are fine. I know tile is our long-term answer. We're working on that. It's going to take us a while to get through everything. But uh, in the meantime, we, we're doing some surface drainage as well. We're no-tillers, and we're always worried about compaction in these wet fields too. So I sent you a, a bunch of my fields, but really focus on K5 and R1. They're fields I'm having some trouble with. Uh, could you look at those two fields at least and give me some ideas what I could do fertility-wise and just know we are working on the tiling thing? I don't know that I can with what they gave me here for a printout. It's at... It looks like 11 by 17 sheet and the print is so small and these are so far down the list trying to I'm trying to match up what what am I even looking at here but with the headers and stuff did you have anything that you had highlighted Darren that no, you noticed I, right away I just circled the fields there that that he's looking at but here I can look at it real quick too as we get talking so uh talk about this well, it's Brad. not that I'm blind or anything it's just that there's so many numbers and I'm trying to match up the stuff and and also it's not in a format that I'm used to seeing for up above so I, I mean, if you yeah, the give nutrients, me a second, nutrients I'll, are just sorted out a little bit different. So a couple, a couple things that Jim says here too. He, he says, "Yeah, go ahead." Uh, I feel like certain soil types are more prone to getting wet easy than others, and I, but I can have a waterlogged crop and still get the sprayer on it. But the problem then, of course, is compaction, and we're in no-till, so that's that's a problem. And you know, this is something too, Jim. A lot of times we focus on planting time and harvest time. We want the the water table really controlled so we don't have issues because we got to get the crop in and we got to get the crop out but you're right that sprayer is going to run through that field maybe several times during the season so if we've got good drainage all the way through where that water table is down three feet uh, we just aren't going to have those issues and i think tiling becomes really really important in no-till especially if you're in a situation where man our surface drainage is not great our water table is often high and we want to be no-till without tile it's pretty tough to do those things because you just don't know when you're going to be able to get stuff done and it just makes it more stressful than it really needs to be and like you say this year excessively wet once again uh, it doesn't surprise me jim because we were excessively dry here again so it had to go somewhere the moisture had to go somewhere well, we'll okay. take a look at, yeah. at a couple of those yep. fields for Let's Jim. We'll get back to those right after this break. It is a Farmer Friday. That means our phone lines are wide open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And, of course, you can always email us like Jim did, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health 
starts here. Visit ProSoroPro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Uh, just for the break, we're starting to work through a soil sample here, and I'll let Brian uh, scratch his head on that one just a little bit further, and I can jump on the phone line here. Got Kenny Hartman with us right now to talk a little about Commodity Classic and, and what's happening out there. How you doing, Kenny? Doing well today. All right, so Commodity Classic, just right around the corner. Give us uh, give us some details. Well, March 9th through 11th is uh, Commodity Classic this year. Uh, it's in Orlando. We're really excited about uh, about our being in Orlando this year. It's it's a great place, especially in the in the winter time, and uh, we're we're just really getting excited about the show and and a uh, lot of interest this year. Well, I like the theme, preparing for the next generation, because you think about all the multi-generational farm, farms out there, and uh, that is the big challenge, is how how and when <laughs> do you start flipping things to that next generation? So sounds like uh, you got a great idea here. Well, we're looking at, uh, obviously, like you said, preparing for the next generation, uh, looking at, you know, Family farms is important to us, and, and we're looking at uh, keeping things going to the next generation. I know there's going to be some speakers there talking about, uh, about farm and finances and, and some talk about uh, how, you, how you proceed to go to the next generation and, and keep things in the family. Uh, preparing for the next generation also is uh, looking at uh, the next generation of farm technologies and, and some of the uh, things that we need to achieve bigger yields and reduce input costs and, and, and definitely uh, – you know, take care of the environment. So got a lot of, a lot of technology and next generation things going on here. 
Well, I, I love when meetings are in Orlando because obviously you got theme parks and tours and lots of stuff to do down there. So it's a great opportunity to bring the whole family down. And of course, this year we're getting so much snow here, Kenny, that I think about everybody in our <laughs> state's looking for a place to get away. So I'm just going to guess your numbers that you had attending, I think 2019 is the last time I was in Orlando. I, I'm betting you're going to exceed those. No, we're really we're really excited about the numbers that are coming in. I know the last time we in Orlando was in nineteen, and we had almost record numbers. And we're hoping that this year we can we can break them. And, and so far, we're on track. We're probably about twenty percent more uh, numbers coming in as far as registrations right now than we were say a year ago. So. Well, I know there's lots of hotels and that kind of thing around Orlando, but when when you think about an event like Commodity Classic, it does bring so many people in. Uh, where do people go right now to to register, to find out more details, and, and get signed up? Well, we have a Commodity Classic website, and the website is commodityclassic.com. So if you, if you pull that up, it will give you all the information that you need as far as registration and, and hotels, and there's still some some tours that are open yet. Uh, there's a uh, Blue Spring State Park tours. There's uh, uh, a Kennedy Space Center tour still open, and and uh, you know you can register for them. You can register for the Kamai Classic for the three days, and uh, you can get your hotel on that KamaiClassic.com. Also, if you get on Facebook or Twitter, we've got some uh, connections there. If if you look that up there. Well, certainly a great event when we talk about Commodity Classic. It's been going on for a long time. It just keeps getting bigger and better. This year's theme, preparing for the next generation, is pretty exciting. And, of course, the venue being at Orlando is outstanding. Uh, Kenny, thanks so much for sharing all these details with us, and uh, we'll be sure to check out commodityclassic.com. Okay, well, thank you very much, and uh, and we'll talk to you down at Commodity Classic. You bet. Thanks, Kenny. Uh, let's head over to Iowa. We've got Dave on with us right now. Uh, Dave, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, what you got on your mind today? Oh, just kind of wrapping up the week, but uh, middle of winter, so we're we're kind of going through what uh, yield results from last year and working on plans for the, the coming year. Yeah, there's a lot of white stuff outside, so it's good to do some of these indoor jobs. I like being outside, but uh, this is a good time for for these indoor jobs right now. How about on soil fertility? What are what are you thinking there? Well, it kind of changed it up this this year. We hired a independent agronomy service to pull soil tests and just got recommendations back, and and uh, differs a little bit from the from the co-op retailer that we've been using. So trying to trying to work through that and see. Uh, you know where we need to spend money and where we can save a little bit and and uh it looks like the recommendations are going to allow me to save a little bit of money this year that's awesome that's awesome yeah it's it's tough to do fertility is just expensive uh, what i guess what are you thinking are you thinking at this point it's going to be eh, maybe we'll go with crop removal rates or are you thinking in some spots you might have some high fertility that you can draw on well that's kind of what i'm finding uh, is that uh We'd been grid sampling, and they they switched us over to zone sampling, and all of a sudden things make a whole lot more sense when you overlay those with yield maps from past history. But it looks like to me uh, we've got some zones out there that are fairly high fertility that we may be able to go to a zero rate this year and and not uh, not hurt anything and and 
spend that money in other places or save it all together on some farms. You know, the zero the question always is, is that, the, is that the right thing to do? You know? <laughs> the zero rate seems to be the toughest thing with any of this variable rate fertility discussion of, man, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable doing it, but it does make a lot of sense though, because we always talk about balance. And if you got enough phosphorus for the next five years out there, it makes a lot of sense. Take some of that down. Cause I bet you don't have enough of absolutely every nutrient for five years. So if you get some of that excess out, it brings things a little closer to balance. So to me, it makes a lot of sense. But if it's, well, I have just enough for this year, I'm not very comfortable with it. So kind of depends on uh, how much yeah. you got. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I, you know, in some of these areas that are showing almost excessive levels, um, it, those are lower yielding areas of the field. So I think we've been over applying over time and we're just with this new sampling scheme, we're identifying those areas where we couldn't before on grids. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, hey, hey, Dave, it's how big were the grids before you that you were using? Uh, those are five-acre grids. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we also switched off of five-acre grids. We were in the same boat that you were where we were like, we weren't finding the variability out there we needed to, so we went to one-acre grids, and granted, a lot of people don't want to do that, but how, how, how big would these zones kind of be now? I, I mean, are they two acres, three acres? I mean, and I, I'm talking about average. I realize that the zone is going to vary. Yeah, they they basically built the zones off of uh, the soil type. So in any okay. given field, it could be um, nine tenths all the way up to I think six or seven acres was gotcha. the largest zone. Yep. Uh, but they're probably two, three average somewhere in there. Yep. So what's the one nutrient that's really stood out to you where you go, whoa, I the, our, our our results now are so much different with this? Is it P? Is it K? Is it what is it? Potassium, I think, was the one that was a little surprising to me. Uh, my potassium levels are fairly high across the board, hmm. uh, and and I know that's one that the the past retailer has really been focused on. He he was a big fan of high P rates, but uh, uh, having a, a fresh set of eyes looking at, it, they're saying, well, you know, maybe those are a little too high, uh, <laughs> or a little high, higher than they need to be. Yeah. So we we can cut back and go back to removal rates, or maybe just seventy five percent of removal rate to. Yeah. To draw those levels back a little bit and balance. Yeah. Yeah. And balance is tremendously important. If you don't have the nutrients balanced, you can actually cause more problems by putting more fertilizer on, which seems counterintuitive, but we certainly have experienced that and learned that lesson the hard way on our own farm. Anything else on your mind today there, Dave? Yeah. Uh, you know, just input prices, you know, that's, we're starting to get, uh, uh, some softening of the fertilizer market and, and uh, is it time to pull the trigger? Is it, is it should we wait and let this thing ride out for a little bit, or or what to do? I can't. We, I still have fertilizer to book for a spring. I can't tell so, you how many times I've to, gotten that. To find the point. Yep, how many times I've gotten that exact question this winter, Dave? I wish I knew the answer myself because we have to buy a bunch of nitrogen yet for this spring, and I've been holding back as well, just waiting. And I don't know. I, I mean, there are a lot of people talking about. Well, maybe maybe about now I'll I'll do it, but I don't know. I think I'm waiting a little longer. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to wait a little bit longer. I bought a little bit of nitrogen for spring, but just kind of enough to to get me started. I still got a bunch to buy yet, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm going to wait, but I'm not going to wait too long. Yep, yep. All right, well, Dave, great talking to you today. Thanks a lot, and uh, hope you have a great 2023. Sure, thanks. Have a great, great year yourself. Yep, appreciate it. 
Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back taking your calls and questions after this. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Hope you're enjoying the discussion, and if you'd like to be part of it, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Michigan. We've got Jed down with us right now. How are you doing, Jed? Better than I deserve, guys. Thank you. Excellent. We are as well. So what's happening on your farm? Well, usually this time of year we're plowing a little snow and uh, sitting by the fire, but there's no snow on the ground. There's no frost in the dirt, so we're still pulling some soil samples, cleaning some fence rows, and working harder than I'd really want to in January. 
<laughs> you know, we got between 40 and 50 inches of snow. I think we could we could gladly share some, Jed. We've been pushing it around a while. We could let you push it for the next couple months. You know, that's fine. You know, January and February <laughs> is usually when we want to sit back a little bit. But, uh, no, it's a, it's a strange winter in Michigan. Yeah, no doubt about it. So what are you thinking about for, for 2023? Are you going to change some things up? Well, we, we had real good yields on our, our wheat. Um, and our soybeans, uh, so we want to continue that. One thing we're thinking about doing differently is uh, the first week in May in our area of Michigan is is the time when you want to be going 36 hours a day, and it's the best planting time for us, but we still are right in a window to be spraying our wheat. Uh, we do all our own spraying. So we've contracted this year with uh, Brian Hammes from Flying Acres. He's got a pair of drones, and we're going to have him fly Husky and Nexacore on our wheat. Um, rather than us doing it ourselves because we're usually planting corn and soybeans at that time. Interesting. So I just want to see if there's any anything you're thinking about that we, we should be aware of as as we kind of transition to that and see how that's going to work for us. Yeah, that will be that will be interesting to see, you know, what kind of coverage they can get and, and that type of thing. And yep. then spray co- spray coverage is really the biggest thing, Jed, that I would throw in. Well, and the other the, thing, Brand, might be the the new Husky FX, depending on the weed spectrum here, that yes. that would add a little more control on kochia and a few other weeds. Yeah, for for only eh, it's probably an extra two bucks an acre. So a lot of our guys that have gone husky are now switching over to husky FX. But, yeah, if you don't have kochia and the things that Starane helps you with, then it doesn't really matter. But, no, the, the coverage is is really our concern. We've seen some stuff with drones that look really good, and then some others where it's like, ooh, it's a little a little spotty. We're not quite getting the same control and missed a couple spots and things like that. So we were hoping to do some drone work on our own farm last year with spraying, and then it, it never worked out with the company that we were, we were talking to about that. But... I mean, that very well could be the future. It seems crazy because when you first think about it, it's like, how can some little drone haul all those gallons around the field? Well, it can't. It's going to be small gallonage. We just worry about, like when a helicopter or a plane does it, they get so much push, so much downforce. And I don't know how, and I've never seen any study, like how much push the drone really gets, but Anyway, yeah, I guess we're we're anxious to hear how it turns out for you. So let us know at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, so am I. We've really upped our acreage with uh, soft red winter wheat. Um, so this is something we're we're starting to manage a little bit more, just based on our yields and what we're getting for tonnage on straw. So we're hoping this uh, this kind of contributes to us being able to do manage it a little bit more. Yeah, and spraying timely is incredibly important and i i'm right with you it's hard to get all the jobs done in the spring so we've gone to trying to plant earlier and at least it gets it gets taken care of that way because then we have a little more time later on which is all great to talk about in the middle of the winter but if all of a sudden it rains during the week that we want to be planting then all those jobs are condensed into one again so well, you're, you're talking about planting earlier. Uh, yep. How early is too early? Because we keep pushing our soybean planting window earlier and earlier. Um, if the frost is out of the ground in Michigan and we don't see a freeze anywhere on the forecast, we're pretty much rolling a planter with soybeans. And we're just, and we haven't got dinged yet um, that we're raising a few eyebrows as we start to plant earlier and earlier in April. But how early is going to be too early for these soybeans? Yep, that's a great question. We look a lot at the crop insurance dates, and it does vary a lot from state to state and area to area. But 
if the crop insurance company says go, we absolutely would say, hey, it's time to roll. It's just that like for us, it's April 26th is the, the early plant date for mm-hmm. soybeans. I really think it should be five to 10 days earlier than that. So I'm with you. It does take a lot of frost to to really do a lot of damage to those soybeans. They'll, they're able to withstand 28 degrees fairly well, especially when they're in the cotyledon stage. So, you know, the other big thing is just looking at seed treatments and making sure we get the seed out of the ground and all that kind of thing. But we haven't had a lot of problem with that. It's more just worrying about that frost. Great. That's good to hear. We're just going to keep pushing that window then. Hey, one other thing that I'll throw out there, and I don't have the website uh, pulled up or anything, but well, actually I probably can pretty quick. But anyway, there's this uh, this good website out of, it was University of Illinois, now I think it's out of Purdue. Uh, it's a GDU predictor, and basically you can zoom down in your geography uh, over there in Michigan, and it will give you what your frost dates were. Um, historically. And then you can also look at, uh, okay, I'm going to plant a certain hybrid and it'll tell you for growing degree days, uh, kind of the average and, and what that looks like and show you a graph. And I mean, it's really neat. And I tell people all the time, use this. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking it up right now. It's, it's at mygeohub.org. But anyway, it's uh, Purdue and uh, GDD, so growing degree days. But yeah, it's really, really good. So I use that all the time. Been using that for probably three or four years now since the first time we saw that. But I mean, it helps you a lot with corn, but it also can help you with the soybeans. You can see historically when have your last frost dates been, and you can punch in a different temperature. So if instead of 32 degrees, you say, well, I don't think it's going to kill me until I'm at 26 or 27, punch that in and it'll show you. So anyway, it's kind of neat. Great. We'll, we'll take a look at that. All right. Thanks, Jed. Good talking to you. Thank you. You bet. Let's go out to Colorado. Got Dennis on with us right now. How's it going, Dennis? Pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. What's what's going on in your world? Well, we've got snow on the ground out here, so had another probably five or six inches of snow on top of uh, three or four inch snow that wasn't all the way melted out yet. So, Sure, sure. Yep, add to the fun. That's right. Now, in our area, there's a lot of guys saying, you know what, we'll take moisture anywhere we or any way we can get it. Are you happy for just the moisture in general? Yeah, we're real happy for the moisture. We've been we've been really, really dry for the last couple of years. And, you know, last year was pretty trying on as dry as it was, especially for the cow guy and dry land corn and dry land farm didn't didn't do too good with no rain. No, no, that's for sure. It doesn't do anybody. It's pretty unforgiving. It's pretty unforgiving. We'll it just is. say it that way. So does it change your crop plan going into this year then? do you Are you thinking, man, I got to plant some stuff that's pretty drought tolerant or uh, is that just normally what you do anyway? Well, normally, you know, eastern Colorado is on the verge of a drought in a good year. So we we look for hybrids with, with drought drought tolerant. Um, you know, we might, we might decide to plant some more acres of dry land corn that that we wouldn't have, I guess, especially if it keeps snowing. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that, that could switch things a little bit, no doubt about that. How about from a, an equipment and a tillage standpoint, you know, what are what are you guys doing there? Do you do a lot of tillage? Do you do a lot of cover crop? What what's your normal rotation? Well on our farm we don't we don't do any cover crops. Uh there's just a little bit of cover crop stuff done in our area, not not too much. Some of the organic guys are trying the cover crop stuff, but I don't know, because of resistance in weeds, um, probably a little bit more tillage has showed up on on dry land that used to be 
total spray spray programs. Um, is it mainly Roundup, Roundup resistant pigweed and kochia, or what are the tough ones? Yep, uh, polymer pigweeds probably our toughest. You know, especially in you know we we don't give enough average rainfall that we usually have to have a summer follow year. So we'll plant wheat and then no-till corn right into the wheat stubble and then the next year is a lot of times is our problem with polymer and stuff trying to keep it keep it killed so guys have gone to blading before they drill wheat instead of just spraying excellent okay yeah that's it's it's interesting how everybody's fighting this in in different environments and i i know how dry and low humidity and man that adds to just a challenge trying to kill tough weeds as well so eastern colorado definitely not immune from roundup resistant palmer pigweed out there uh dennis thank you so much really appreciate you talking to us and personally i I hope you don't have to scoop any snow i hope it comes in the form of rain but wishing you a little more moisture however it comes all right i appreciate it you bet thanks dennis it's farmer friday and ag phd radio we're taking your calls and questions at 844 44 Ag PhD, and we'll be right back. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no! Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. And yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history. So how can I get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year. Always read and follow label directions. The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Farmers come to Commodity Classic from every state and beyond. I'm a farmer from Lexington, Tennessee. Brackenridge, Michigan. Michigan. Finley, North Dakota. We're farmers farmers from from Elverson, Pennsylvania. Cope, Colorado. Northeast Arkansas. I'm a teacher from Glenview, Illinois. We are corn and soybean farmers from Allegan, Michigan, and we want to see you at Commodity Classic. Join us in Orlando as we're preparing for the next generation, March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio here in the Morton studio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, except for one of those lines because it's occupied by our friend Grant out in Pennsylvania. How you doing, Grant? Pretty good today. Got a good windy day going, so uh, yeah, you got to put the collar up when you're out. <laughs> well, especially when it's warm like this, right? Uh, that wind it doesn't feel so good. So, yeah, you gotta yeah, gotta deal with that. Now, hey, I, I would say this though: Pennsylvania last year it seemed to be kind of hit and miss with moisture conditions. What what are you seeing now between harvest and and uh, where we're at today? We're getting some moisture build up, but it's kind of been an, a little on the dry side for winter. Um, we've had very little snow in, in uh, the southeast part of the state. Northwest has had a little, but not. we're all below average in rainfall. So I know the parts of the state that were really dry last year, they haven't really banked a lot of moisture for this coming year, but on average, you know, our rainfall is a lot better than you guys anyway. So, I mean, we have moisture. We just don't have the heavy soil to hold it. Right. Right. So what what is the feeling going into next year? Are, are guys uh, more excited about corn, more excited about soybeans, anything like that? It kind of gets that tension between what you think you can make more money on and what you really need to do as far as rotation-wise. Um, I know some guys have been, and myself included, been you know going back to beans a couple years in a row. You kind of get nervous about that some you know some frog guy shows up and there some other things that can start to be issues uh, so you feel like you ought to rotate now this year tar spots made its, you know raise its ugly head and uh, i'm really nervous about what that's going to do it's uh, we've got the inoculum now it was around everywhere i looked at in my home county last last uh, summer in august so i know we have plenty of inoculum going to have the host everybody's planting some corn and uh, so all we need is that right weather and in pa we can get up what we call a backdoor cold front comes through every now and then uh cold air drops down out of new england off the northern atlantic ocean and you get that cool weather which is needed to get tar spot going and you get moisture so it, it's got me nervous so i've been i've been looking at the reports and the various fungicides and how they work and that and when's the best timing and how good they are and uh trying to be ready because i think it's something to catch a lot of people unaware yeah yeah it sure is i know uh, just talking to folks out in your your neck of the woods uh last summer it, it, they couldn't believe how fast this went from oh there's a few spots to uh oh we're in big big trouble so it definitely tar spots not something that you want to mess with uh, you sent some yeah. some soil samples in here this morning, Grant. I don't know if you wanted to visit with those or if, or or if you had something else you want to talk today. 
Yeah, I uh, some farm ground we work with. And I've, I've been farming for all oh, twenty years, twenty-two years. When I picked Dutch ground up, the phosphorus index value was in the negative numbers, so like it was really, really low. And I got an opportunity a few years ago to get a a, a processing material. It's got a an analysis. Some years it's four oh three, some years it's three oh three. I put, you know, four, five, six ton of that on per acre, and I've gotten the, the phosphorus levels up closer to where I want them. And uh, I wanted to send the samples out, get your guys' spin on uh, the products. It has a 10% iron analysis, and now my irons are up against the the right-hand side of the column there, the, the full yes. load. <laughs> is, there, uh, is there any perceived or projected difficulty with the iron getting up high it's interesting you bring that up grant i was just going through our data from the last two years we compare soil tests to yield on our farm on most of our acres we get soil tested every year in one acre grids and we farm about 3500 crop acres so it's a crazy amount of data to filter through but anyway i I was showing this to darren yesterday um the last two years you know where our best yields have come from in corn and soybeans where we have the highest iron level and, I mean, that was the one thing that stood out to me. Higher iron, higher yield, period. So, I don't know. I mean, on yours, I'm just looking at it now for the first time. If there's it's anything pretty that, high copper, pretty high zinc. Yeah. We desperately need some more boron, though, and sulfur is, is not where I'd like to see that either. So, yeah, I mean, but, there's a few things. Yeah, but all I'm getting at here is, would his high iron cause a problem with anything else? I don't see anything that looks tremendously glaring there uh, that that I would say, oh yeah, your high iron's going to p- cause a problem with this or that. So I, I would say, just looking at whatever you have here, six or seven samples, there's a lot of variability. So, I mean, you've got some with higher levels of K and some with, I mean, not very good levels of K and some things like that. So I assume you're kind of working on that that variability a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm personally happy that you have high iron. Okay, well that's that's good to hear, because I, I get worried sometimes about antagonism when when something gets, you know, too much higher than something sure. else. But most of my micros there are pretty good. I know when I picked that land up, the pH was like four nine. Maybe the sweetest field was five one, and my manganese levels were just sky high. But since it's been limed up to six and a half or six seven in that range. The manganese levels, and it's all based on availability. It's still there, but the availability is way down compared to when I started with it. Exactly, and that was one thing I was going to bring up because it looked like your manganese levels aren't anywhere near where your iron levels are now. And I go back to the old Mulder's chart that we've used for years where it has all these different nutrients and it points to other nutrients. Well, with iron, it points to zinc, phosphorus, copper, manganese, and calcium. So your phosphorus levels, yeah, you've been building those up. Darren brought up zinc, a little bit copper, but you know that other one is manganese. And so that would be something I might be a little bit concerned about. And, you know, you can always try some things out, try some manganese out there, see if it makes any difference, whether it's uh, inferral, foliar, broadcast, whatever. But that would be about the only thing I would say I'm, I'm slightly concerned about. Okay. Just goes back to the old story. If you're using organics or, or uh, processing material leftovers, 
you have a fixed analysis. So hopefully you're fixing the right things with that <laughs> fixed analysis. Yep. But, there, but there comes a point where you got to get the old fertilizer shovel out and get the yep. fertilizer to, to get your balancing done. Yep, so. that's exactly right. It's just like on our farm, we get a bunch of dairy manure, and people always say, oh, manure, it's great, and you can use Well, yeah, it is great, except for it's really short on phosphorus. So we, 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 if we just put dairy manure out there, we'd be falling behind on phosphorus every single year. So for us, we got to supplement with commercial fertilizer with phosphorus. Now, fortunately, we're at least analyzing it, and that's one of the biggest problems we see, Grant, is a lot of people don't do soil testing very often, and they don't analyze what the stuff is that they're putting out in their field, whether it's manure or compost or anything else, and they just say, oh, I'm sure it's good. Well, as expensive as fertilizer is and as valuable as this crop is worth, it, it, I mean, I, I don't want to just guess. I'd kind of like to have some actual information that would really help me. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, here's a one quick side leg question. I'm running into uh, some poultry producers yep. that their phosphorus level is dropping. Okay. And uh, I just got some information that they're... they're co-ops or whatever are requiring them to treat the poultry litter yep and they're using a, a highly acidic material that's got alum in it which i believe is the aluminum and it even says on the label to bind the phosphorus well we're yep. putting all this litter out now we can't get the phosphorus level up gotcha. are we going to get tr in trouble putting this aluminum product in um, it's a possibility. The key thing with aluminum is keeping the pH up. If your pH gets down into the fours, we really worry about aluminum toxicity. In the fives, it's usually not terrible. And once you get that pH in the sixes, or especially if it was in the sevens, there's usually very little concern. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on because, uh, yeah, it sounds to me like you may be throwing a lot of aluminum out there on a regular basis. So I don't think I'd be super worried today, but long term, if that continues to go that way, you might see a big buildup. Hey, Grant, we get a run, but uh, thanks for calling in today. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks you. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. 
The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And earlier in the show, we're looking at some soil samples from Jim from Australia, and then we kind of took a break. The phone lines just kept going, so well, that uh, plus we the held fact it for that later. There were literally 10,000 pieces of data on an 11 by 17 sheet. Well, it wasn't quite that bad, but it, well, it, it seemed like it. It was yep. impossible for me to do that. So I found the original email. It was actually in Excel. Well, I do stuff with Excel all the time. I deleted out all the things I didn't need, and then I got to what we actually need to talk about. So bring that question up one more time, Darren, because it was a long time ago. I want to know what, what, what they were even after. All or right, is it so, just a general? So Jim's in no-till. They're doing a lot of surface drainage, but they know they need to get some tiling done. It's just going to take them a little bit of time. So Irrigated? It uh, doesn't say Irrigated. Here's why I'm asking. They just had excessive rainfall. Well, their sodium levels are off the charts. They've got one spot that's 31.4% sodium. That that ground's dead. That could be why the water's not sinking into that ground. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it the ground's dead. Anyway, so Australia, right? Yep. And so was, are there any specific questions or they just yes. want to Yes, they want you to okay, look specifically ahead. at fields K5 and R1. Yep, that's what I got pulled up. And I'm looking at the 0 to 10 inch samples. They had 10 to 60 inch also. But I'm looking at the 0 to 10 because that's usually what people are most concerned about. And that's it? No other specific questions? Okay. So here's what I see. Variability. One, cation exchange capacity is as high as 30 but as low as 7. So that's a big, big difference. In the seven cation exchange capacity, well, then it's a lot easier to change things that are out there. In other words, if I want to change my base saturation K, which in some spots are as low as 1.1%, it's much easier to do that uh, because there just isn't a lot of holding capacity. And if you have irrigation, it would pay a lot better, obviously, in that light soil. Okay, so the biggest concern that I see is sodium, and 
let's see, there are six spots, so three in each field. We've got levels, and, and I'm going to read from top to bottom, 31.4%, 12.3%, 13.1% sodium. 7.9%, 5.6%, 5.3% sodium. Even the 5.3% is way too high for my liking. That's already hurting your yield. So my assumption is this is either poor irrigation water quality, number one, number two, poor drainage, and or number three, and it could be all these, uh, lots of manure and or compost over the years. So whatever is helping get these sodium levels so high, we got to get rid of that. We got to stop that right now. So I'm done putting manure out. I'm done putting bad water out. I got to stop or, I mean, we're going to kill everything because I'm serious. That 31.4% sodium, that ground's dead. And can you fix it? Sure. It's going to take the rest of your life though. So we just can't get in those kind of spots. Um, in addition to to that, so let's take the other spots where it's in the fives or seven or whatever. It's not so bad. I'm focused, number one, on potassium where I'm as low as 1.1%. I got another spot that's 2.8. I, we got to get more potassium out there. We also have to get more phosphorus. So phosphorus, single digits in some spots. Uh, beyond that, copper and zinc both below one part per million. And I don't know how that lab is over there compared to our labs and how the extraction methods go. But if anywhere in the United States, any lab gave me results where I'm less than one part per million on copper and zinc, I'm going to be addressing that. Then beyond that, we always have to think about the leachables. So stuff like sulfur and nitrogen and boron too. We've got one spot where the boron is really low. But one of the indicators for me a lot of times is if I have poor drainage, where I have leachables like boron, nitrogen, sulfur that are higher, much higher than normal, I, I, I got one spot here that's 8.1 parts per million. A lot of the rest of your, on boron, a lot of the rest of your stuff is one or two, but one that's eight. And that also is the spot that has 31% sodium. So that's telling me right there that most likely I got a drainage issue. Plus, magnesium is pretty high into the 30s. So anyway, that's the first thing that I'm going to be addressing is drainage. Second thing, I'm going to be looking at all the nutrients, trying to get them in balance. And I would absolutely do what I can to lower my magnesium and raise my calcium. So that usually means applying some gypsum, for example, where I get calcium out there. And then I hopefully flush some of the magnesium out of the soil with the sulfur. So I, I realize it's a lot of things that we're talking about here, but yeah, I, I'll be honest. If let's say, for example, your ground on this K5 and R1 fields, your ground came up for sale tomorrow and I, it was right next door to me. And I looked at these soil tests. I'd go, even if it's right next door to me, I don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared because the sodium is so high. So I, and anyway, I, I, I guess I'll leave it at that. Fix the sodium. That's number one. All right. And that tiling is definitely going to help you. No doubt about that. All right. Get this one from Jared. And he said, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wrong one. Not Jared. Lucas. Sorry. Uh, he said, hey, guys, I'm looking at trying some non-GMO or conventional corn this year, only on about 40 acres. I'm just going to give it a shot. But Answer my... this yesterday, Darren. Oh, you did? Yep. Okay. Done. Great. Didn't get out of my pile. I So yesterday, Darren was gone, and I went through a number of questions. And I, 
and maybe we printed a duplicate or did something different. But anyway, no, I know I handled that one yesterday. Okay. Uh, then then let's jump in with Raymond. And Raymond sent us some soil samples, and I'll hand you those. There's summary pages towards the back. The last few pages are summary pages if you Got want it. to see it yep, all in I one shot. Yep. Or, or you can just look at individual tests. Uh, Ray says, okay, guys, these are all from a 50-acre field, and they're samples that I took last spring. Currently, I've got it in hay, but I'm going to uh, consider cash crops for this season. Just kind of curious what you think about the samples and if there's anything there that stands out to you. Sure. First of all, first thing I look at, and just because it was first, was your phosphorus levels are single digits. So that's not going to cut it. You're going to need a whole bunch more phosphorus. Second thing, when we talk about potassium, you're at 1.83% potassium on the base saturation test, way too low. So you got to get your, your P and your K up there. The, those are the first things. In terms of soil pH, you got some variability. You got a couple spots, so we're as low as 5.4, 5.5. On average, it doesn't look bad, 6.4 pH. But hit those couple of spots with just a little bit of lime, 5.4 and 5.5 are not real great for most cash crops. Boron is at 0.3 parts per million. Copper is at 1.2 parts per million. So if it's me, I'm going to take just a few dollars, not many, but just a few dollars, and I would address those as well. So those are probably the biggest things. I was just trying to find the sulfur on here because I'm guessing sulfur is probably low like it is for everybody. Oh, there it is. Sure enough, uh, we got eight parts per million of sulfur, which is really, really low. So anyway, yeah, it, it just, it's unfortunately going to cost a little bit of money, but you just got to get some P and K and sulfur and just a few micros out there. So we're just really low on most things. All right. Thanks for the questions. I got this one from PD who says, uh, guys, uh, I got a question for, for you and just looking at how you set up experiments, specifically on the design of fertility trials. I'm working with sweet corn seed production. I want to try some different parents at different fertility levels on gravity tube irrigation ground. I just wanted to run some <laughs> quick numbers by Starting to sound anybody uh, and wondering if, uh, if I could talk with the people that are doing the research with you guys. Oh, so he, he just wants to talk to someone. Okay, so we just need to put him in touch with somebody. Okay, no problem. What else you got over there? Okay. You know, when you think about um, weed control, we've had a lot of questions on conventional corn again this year, but not as many as we normally do with market prices where they're at. Haven't had quite as many. Uh, I had one from Joe about grass control in conventional corn. Without Roundup in my product mix now, what can I do to, to deal with grasses so I don't have any popping up later? We talked about a conventional corn one yesterday. I think that was that 40-acre one you are just talking about uh, that I said I answered yesterday. And my advice, if you're going to plant conventional corn. Oh, Darren, one of the things I've started doing here in the last month probably is I just say, so you don't get offended when, I, when I'm very unbelievably blunt. I'm just going to put things in. Let's assume that you were my farmer and I'm your agronomist. Here's how I'd say it to you. Please don't even think about planting conventional corn if you don't put a full rate of a group 15 down. Because if you don't, grass is probably going to get to you and then you're going to complain about it. I don't want you to complain about it. I want you to get the grass under control right up front. Because post-emerge, your only option post that's good is accent and good is uh, pushing it sometimes. So anyway... Full rate of group 15, then follow with whatever you need for broadleaves. If you have an agronomic question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com. 
Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.